Hello, Cathedral. What a great day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's so great to see everybody, those who are here on campus, those who are watching online, campuses around the Bay Area. Thanks again for being here. We're in a series called Say Something. Say Something. We're looking at the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And so far, we've seen the word forgive and behold and thirst. And today, I want to talk to you for the next few moments about the word forsaken. Forsaken. Say that with me. Forsaken. Now, every generation has its tough guys. And back in the day, one of the tough guys from my generation was Chuck Norris. Anybody remember Chuck Norris? He was one bad dude. Here's how bad Chuck Norris is. I say, it says, Chuck Norris sleeps with a nightlight. Not because Chuck Norris is afraid of the dark, but the dark is afraid of Chuck Norris. That's how tough he is, right? If we were to be honest, we're in church. When you were growing up, how many of you used a nightlight? Let me see your hands. I had one. All right. How many of you still use that nightlight? Because the dark can be a very scary place. And what I invite you to do over the next few moments with me is to push past your fear and take a journey into the dark. Because the word that comes to us from the cross this weekend comes out of the dark. With a little help from our tech team to help set the vibe, the Bible says this about that moment on the cross. At noon, as Jesus is on the cross, darkness fell across the whole land. The sun couldn't watch. The sun hides its eyes. When Jesus was born, a light shows up in the middle of the day. And as Jesus is dying, darkness shows up in the middle of the day. It's the one day in history that has two nights. Darkness covers the cross. It's interesting, there's a historian who lived at the same time of Jesus, and archaeologists found some of his writings a while back, and in those writings, he makes reference to that darkness, and listen to the way he describes it. He says, either the God of nature is suffering, or the machine of the world is tumbling into ruin. And he could not have known how right he was. God is suffering. And darkness covers the cross everywhere. Jesus looks, there's darkness. The military leaders that are at the cross, they represent the, the best government of that day. And the 
spiritual leaders at the cross, they represent the best religion of that day. And yet what a a dark picture this is, as the best government and the best religion come together to do the unthinkable and to put the most innocent man who ever lived, the Son of God, to death on the cross. Darkness is everywhere. And even a more evil, dark presence lurks around the cross. When Jesus began his ministry, the devil shows up and tempts and taunts Jesus with these words, if you are the Son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. And you can hear the devil once again at the cross inspiring Similar words, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you are the Son of God. The Bible had predicted that the serpent would bruise the heel of Jesus, and this is that very moment. Now, the Bible goes on to say that Jesus will eventually crush the head of the serpent. And all God's people said amen to that. We know where this is headed. But this is the moment, it's the darkest moment in human history if we're going to enter into this moment. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the word of Jesus today. Everybody stand with me. Follow along as we come to this moment. The Bible says it was at three o'clock. He's been there for three hours in the dark. Three hours in the afternoon. At three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He speaks, it's recorded in Aramaic because that's the language Jesus would have used. It's as if Mark wants us to give us that original language, that these are words so sacred, so mysterious. Eloi, Eloi, chima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a loud voice, Jesus cries, my God, my God, why Have you forsaken me? This is such a moment of mystery. It's a crucifixion within the crucifixion. It's a hard word. It's the hardest word Jesus spoke from the cross. It's the hardest word Jesus ever spoke during his life. And I got to tell you, Standing up here, I feel like talking about this word is way above my pay grade. (laughs) But I'm going to invite you for the next few moments to take a journey into the dark and to hear this game-changing word. Because I believe you're not here by accident. You're not here by chance. God has brought you into this moment 
And Jesus has a word from the dark that can help you, help you and help me when we're in the dark. Amen? It can help us when we're in the dark. Father, thank you. We humble ourselves today before you. Speak to us so that we can leave here knowing that we've met you in this moment. That's our heart. That's our desire. All God's people said, let's give God praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. My dad had a saying, and it went like this, faith shows up best when it's dark. And so before you're seated, would you look at somebody and tell them, faith shows up best when it's dark. Go ahead and do that. Faith shows up best when it's dark. Amen. What can we learn from this word from the dark? Well, here's the first suggestion. That when Jesus is on the cross in the dark, he takes our place. He is our substitute. He's our substitute. The Bible says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. It brought us peace, but that punishment was on him. Many years ago, there were two friends who went through law school together, and after they finished law school, their lives took diff very different paths. One went on to be a very respected judge in the community, and the other, well, he got involved in a cocaine addiction, and when you become an addict, well, you have to find a way to pay for your addiction, and he got involved in some criminal activity and eventually he was arrested for fraud and brought before the court. And when he stepped into the courtroom, there is that buddy of his from law school. He stands before him as his judge. Well, folks around wanted to see what is the judge going to do? How's the judge going to respond? And the judge does two things. First of all, he sentence, he sentences his friend. He gives him the biggest fine that could be levied for that fraud. This is what justice demanded. Justice demanded that this man be sentenced, and he gives him the fine. But then he does something that just everybody who's watching is standing there with their mouths open, as the judge steps out from behind the bench, takes off his robe, walks over to his friend, and the judge pays the fine out of his own personal account. He pays the fine. You see how justice and mercy met together in that courtroom. And what is happening on the cross? It's justice and mercy coming together on the cross. We live in a moral universe where you matter and what you do matters. If we live in a universe that's just the product of random chance, 
then you don't matter and what you do doesn't matter. But we live in a universe that's created by God. Can somebody say amen to that? It's a universe of design. It's a moral universe. And that means your actions matter. You matter and your actions matter. And when we sin, our sin matters. And some, someone has to pay the price for our sin. And what is taking place on the cross is that Jesus is taking our place on the cross. He is paying the price for our sin. And I want you to think about that for a moment. That the sin of the entire world is placed on the shoulders of Jesus. Every sin that has ever been committed, every sin that will ever be committed, all of my sin, all of your sin, the sin of the entire world is placed on the shoulders of Jesus and it crushes him. And it drives him into the abyss, into the very pit of hell itself. One of the reasons it's dark, the Bible says, hell, it's described as outer darkness. And Jesus, for those three hours, is experiencing hell for us. The Bible says this. It says God worked all this out in a way that allows him to judge people fairly and still make right any person who has faith in Jesus. That is what we see on the cross. It's mercy and justice coming together and meeting on the cross. Jesus takes our place, and I am so grateful that Jesus has taken my place. Well, because Jesus was forsaken, we can be forgiven. And somebody said amen to that. Because Jesus was condemned, we are accepted, and someone said amen to that. Because Jesus was cursed, we are blessed. Can somebody say amen? Because Jesus was in the dark, we can be in the light. Can somebody say amen? Because Jesus went through hell, we are on our way to heaven. Can somebody say amen? Hallelujah! Jesus took my place. And this is why that can be a game-changing world. When it takes word for you, it, when it takes hold of not just your head, but your heart. When it really takes hold of your heart, what Jesus has done for us. I don't serve Jesus out of guilt. I don't serve him out of duty. I don't serve him out of fear. I don't serve Jesus because I have to. I serve Jesus because I want to. I don't follow him because I have to. I follow him because I want to. I don't praise him because I have to. I praise him because I want to. He has been so good to me. Hallelujah. And I'm so grateful. So grateful. You know, the Bible says we also rejoice right now in what God has done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is because of Jesus that we are now God's friends. Can we take just a moment and give Jesus praise? Jesus, we give you honor and glory and praise. Hallelujah. Because of Jesus, we are never alone, never alone. Say that with me, never alone. Now, the darkness around the cross, there's a a second idea. It's a suggestion that I make to you humbly today, is that what we see happening is that Jesus takes our questions to the cross. He empathizes with us because there are moments in life where we have questions. We do. And Jesus takes our questions to the cross. I heard about these two boys, their brothers, ages 8 and 10, and these two kids were, I mean, just mischievous. They were little terrors. And the mom, she was at her wit's end. What's she going to do with these boys? And so she finally brings them to see the pastor. Maybe the pastor can help out. So the pastor thinks, well, I'll divide and conquer, so I'll meet with the 8-year-old first. And Well, he brings the eight-year-old in, and the pastor asks him a question and says, where is God? And the boy says, nothing. And so the pastor, he raises his voice a bit and says, where is God? The boy once again says, nothing. And so this time, the pastor uses that pastor voice thing, and he says, where is God? And the boy jumps up, runs out of the office, grabs his brother and says, let's get out of here. God's missing and they think we did it. (laughs) Where is God? Where is he? This is the word that we find from the cross. It's the question Jesus asks. Where is God? Have you been there? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People have forsaken me. The crowd, they've turned their backs on me. And the disciples, they've turned their backs on me. And even my family, they've turned their backs on me. But Father, you have always been there. Why have have you forsaken me? It's me. It's me, your son. When Jesus is baptized, he hears the voice of the Father say, Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus hears the voice of the Father say, Behold, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. But here on the cross, in the darkness, there is nothing but silence from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me when all there is is silence? Have you been there? They say that when Mother Teresa was young, that she had powerful experience 
mystical experiences of the presence of God and the voice of God. But when she grew older, there were seasons in her life, there were dark nights of the soul where she wrestled with those kinds of questions. In one of those dark nights of the soul, this is what she wrote to a counselor. She said, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God. Even the very best of us, Jesus himself, we know what it is to have those dark nights of the soul where all there is is silence. What do you do in that moment? Where do you turn? This could be a game-changing word for you this weekend. You may have come here today and, well, the biggest question in your heart is why? I love God, I serve God, I follow God, but why? Why did my career take a nosedive? Why have I lost my home? Why did my mom pass away at such a young age? Why is this happening to me? Why? And all there is is silence. You're not here by accident. You're not here by chance. God brought you here today so you could hear a game-changing word for you. What do you do if you're in that dark night of your soul? Here's what I've learned from my own dark nights of the soul. A counselor is good. A pastor is good. A friend is good. But the best place to turn is Jesus. The best place to turn is Jesus. Hallelujah. Because Jesus knows what it's like. He has been right where you're at. And he can help you survive the darkness and thrive through the darkness until the sun shines again in your life. Jesus knows what it's like to come through the darkness. You're not alone in your pain. Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. And you will find him right there in the dark. The Bible says this. Jesus, our high priest, is able to understand our weaknesses. He has been there. If you're there in the dark, know this today. Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. You will survive the dark, and the sun is going to shine again. Let's give him praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. Let that get in your spirit. Uh, there, there's a best-selling book called The Shack, and sometime back they did a, a movie from the book, and in the movie there's a fascinating scene where a man who's lost his daughter is talking to the character who's playing God, and they use these words from the cross. Watch the screens and listen to their conversation. 
I know. And a great gulf there is between us, Mac. There's no easy answer that'll take your pain away. No instant fix that's enduring. You're the almighty God, right? You know everything. You're everywhere, all at once. You have limitless power. Yet somehow, you let my little girl die. When she needed you most. You abandoned her. I never left her. If you are who you say you are, Where were you when I needed you? Son, when all you see is your pain, you lose sight of me. How can you say that you will help me when you couldn't help her? Because of you, she's gone. Seems like you have a bad habit turning your back on those you supposedly love. I'm not who you think I am. He said it himself. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No, Mac. You misunderstand the mystery. what my son chose to do didn't cost us both dearly. Love always leaves a mark. We were there together. I never left him. I never left you. I never left Miss. Well, the message from the cross is no matter how dark it is in your life, you're never alone. Can we give God praise? Amen. You're never alone. Never alone. Never alone. Say that with me. Never alone. Uh, Here's one other takeaway I would suggest to you from the cross, from this darkness, and that is this. That Jesus takes our faith to the cross. And this really is a cry of confidence. I I enjoy reading wisdom proverbs from all around the world. I found one that said this. It said, if your enemy wrongs you, buy each of his children a drum. That's pretty good wisdom, isn't it? And here's another one. I thought, only a fool tests the water with both feet. That's another pretty good proverb. Now, what I'd like to do is let's get interactive for just a moment. I'm going to say some well-known proverbs. I'm going to say the first half. And if you know the second half, I want you to shout it back to me. So here we go. One proverb goes like this. Do not count your chickens. There we go. All right. And there's another one that goes like this. The early bird. Very good. All right. Now, here's another one. It says, people in glass houses. All right. That one's a little tougher. 
Uh, here's, here's another one. Again, these are a little bit old, but you're doing great. Here's another one that says the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's right. Give yourself a hand, Cathedral. That's awesome. Way to go. Now, when I said the first part, a lot of you knew where this was headed. So even though I only said the first part, you knew where this saying was going. And when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. That psalm starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is how the psalm starts, but every devout Jew, they knew this psalm, Psalm 22. They knew that this is how the psalm starts, but they knew where the psalm was headed. Because the psalm heads in this direction. It goes on to say, he does not ignore those who need help. He does not hate them. He does not turn away from them. He listens when they cry for help. The psalm starts off one way, but it ends a very different way. This really is a psalm of faith. And here's what I want you to catch. Everybody lock in on this. This is so very important. In Jesus, with that cry, it is the greatest example of faith in the entire Bible. What does faith look like, Ken? It looks like what we see happening on the cross in the darkness. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God. He cries out, even though he can't see God, even though he can't sense God, he still cries out to God because he believes God is still close enough to hear his cry. God is still close enough to hear his cry, amen? And that is what faith looks like. My dad used to put it this way. He says, don't doubt in the dark what God has said to you in the light. Even when you can't see God and when you can't sense God, still cry out to God. Faith believes that God is close enough still to hear my cry. My God, my God. There's a, a painting in a museum in London, and in that painting, you have to look very carefully at it. You'll find first an image of Jesus being crucified. But if you continue to study the painting, there behind Christ in the dark, you start to make out the face of the Father. And that the Father is present, supporting the Son, even in the darkness. And this is what Jesus believes. Even though he can't sense God or he can't see God, he believes God is still close enough to hear his cry. 
my God, my God. He takes hold of God with both hands. Faith works best when it's dark. Let the faith of Jesus rub off on you today. If you're in the dark, take hold of God with both hands. On a sunny hillside, one day Jesus taught us from Galilee to pray our Father in heaven, and it's a beautiful prayer. But one day, on a hill called Mount Calvary, Jesus taught us to pray, my God, my God, even when we're going through hell. Because no matter how dark it is in your life today, if you can't see God, if you can't sense God, still cry out to God because faith believes he's close enough to hear my cry and I am never truly alone. Hallelujah! Let's give God praise. Hallelujah! The Bible says, I will never leave you or never forsake you. Somebody needs to know that today. That you're never alone. The worship team is getting ready to come out and lead us in a moment. It's a power encounter with God. Before they do, as they get ready. I want to share with you a letter that was given to me from a young lady in our congregation, a part of our church family, Stephanie. You can see a picture of her and her husband and their little boy, Michael. Stephanie is a part of a family. There are four generations from this family that come and worship every week in here at Cathedral of Faith. Let's give God praise. Multiple generations. It's awesome. Passing on the faith from one generation to another. But Stephanie knows what it is to face a, a dark night of the soul. And listen to what she writes. She says, when we found out we were going to have another baby... My husband and I were shocked, excited, but shocked. This wasn't something we were planning, but we looked at it as this must be what God wanted. Everything happens for a reason, right? Well, at the three-month mark, I miscarried. We were heartbroken and devastated. It made us think maybe we do want another baby. So again, we tried, got pregnant, and again, at the three-month mark, I lost the baby. To be perfectly honest, one of the biggest things I struggled with after losing the second baby was that on the day of the miscarriage, I saw the baby on the screen. I heard the heartbeat. How could this happen? Why? What did I do wrong? Why did I get pregnant twice only to lose them? Why did God allow this to happen? How can any good come from this? Obviously, a lot I don't know, and I have a lot of unanswered questions. In times of difficulty, I find comfort in the things that I do know. I know one day I'll get to meet both of my babies and have all my questions answered. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. I know that when difficult times come, God will be right by my side. I know God has a plan even when I can't see the whole picture. I know God loves me, 
and I trust him. What does faith look like? Faith shows up best in the dark. This is what faith looks like. I don't care how dark it is in your life today. Know that you are not alone. He is with you. He is for you. And the sun is going to shine again. All God's people said amen. Let's give God praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As the worship team comes out, bow your heads with me for just a quick moment. If you would say, Pastor Ken, today I need to become a follower of Jesus. I don't want to be a fan of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to step across the line and put my faith and trust in him. To confess that he is my savior. To put him in charge of my life as my Lord. And this is my day to become a follower of Jesus. I want to agree with you that this is your day. All those watching online, those here in the building, just lift up your hand real high and say, Pastor Ken, that's me. God bless you. Right over here, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Right over here, I agree with you. This is your day. This is your day. Up in the balcony and say, hey, Ken, that's where I'm at. God bless you. God bless you. Right up here, God bless you. This is your day. This is your day. Over here on the right, my right side, anybody that would say, Pastor Ken, right over here, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Father, for this moment as people are bringing their lives to you. Meet us in this place. If we are going through a dark night of the soul, let us know that you are with us and you're for us. We still cry out to you because we believe you're close enough to hear our cry. I invite you as the team leads us. My friend Rick Warren, he says, when you feel abandoned by God, yet continue to trust him in spite of your feelings, you worship God in the deepest way. Let's bring our hearts to worship God and honor him as our king in this moment. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. The Spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted.